Good morning, Gate Church family. How are you guys this morning? I'm so excited to be here with you today and get to share the word with you this morning. Uh, you guys are a good looking group this morning. You guys feeling this cooler weather? How about that? We've got a little bit of a break from 101 this morning. I don't know what this afternoon will be, but at least it was beautiful this morning. So you guys came out this morning and we're really excited about it. <laughs> Woo! Give it up for the worship team this morning. Didn't they do a great job leading us? Thank you guys for doing that. So before I dive in and we're not gonna keep you here too long this morning. I just wanna say a couple of thank yous, is that all right? I want to say thank you to Pastor Jordan. So thank you for sharing the platform with me this morning. Thank you for making room for me. Thank you for letting us do this together. I'm better because of you. So he gets to boast on me a lot and I don't get to boast back quite a bit because he just keeps talking. Have you all ever noticed that? Like he just keeps talking, so I don't get to interrupt very often. So I felt like today was my moment, it was my chance. But thank you as my husband and my pastor for giving me room today. Gate Church, you guys have a good man as a pastor. You guys should be thankful for him. Give it up for him this morning. I love you. So what the Lord has laid on my heart this morning has been something that um, I have in my pri private time been just rolling around for months and months. And the story is going to feel familiar to you, but I ask that as we dive into it and we dissect it, so to speak, that there's a number of ways that you could take it and there's so much meat on the bone, but that you be open to receive what the Lord has for us this morning. Does that work? So let's pray quickly. God, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, for this church. And God, I ask that you wear me like a coat today, that you help me to speak oracles of praises unto your name that are gonna penetrate the hearts of the men and women that are seated in this auditorium today. So God, if you can use anything, you can use me. And I thank you, God, for open hearts, open ears, and open eyes to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go to Mark 14, and if you want a title of a passage, <laughs> or I mean of a sermon, then what I titled it this morning was uh, Go for Broke. So Mark 14, 1 through 9, it says, It was now two days before Passover in the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were angry. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among, among you and you can help them whenever you want to. 
but you will not always have me. She has done what she could, and she anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, whenever the good news is preached and throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. So, we are going to break down three actions that changed Mary's life that day that I believe can also change our lives today. But first, we have to set the scene, okay? So just think about being Mary. And you walk into a room full of disciples and Pharisees, probably all men, sitting there. And it says that Jesus was reclining at the table. So if he's reclining, that doesn't mean he's like sitting in a chair with a fork and a knife properly eating. He's like reclining. The picture that I would get in my head would be similar to, um, what is that fried chicken restaurant in Okarchi where you eat with your hands? Aishans. <laughs> Like, everybody's sitting around eating fried chicken with their hands, you know? Like, that's the picture that I get. Like, Jesus is hanging out with these people. And all of a sudden, Mary comes through this room with a little bit of a different plan. (laughs) And could you imagine being Simon, who is probably sitting next to Jesus? And he's like, yo, Jesus, did you see what happened down the street the other day? Like, that was crazy, right? And then here comes Mary, and she would ima- I would imagine her posture was probably a bit nervous, but serious, probably a bit scared, but intentional. And she comes and she pours, she breaks this jar and just starts pouring it all over his head. And they became, the disciples became so angry. And I, when I was reading this passage over the past two, couple months, I thought, you know what? we could probably identify a little bit more with these disciples than we want to give ourselves credit. Because if we were sitting in a room with someone that we really looked up to and they're just reclining and eating a good fried chicken meal and then all of a sudden somebody busts open and starts like washing their feet or their hair, we would be like, whoa. (laughs) That got on my carpet, first of all. (laughs) And who's going to clean this up, right? And, uh, but... The thing about it is when we read it, we read it from the end to the beginning. So we know the outcome of it, right? Well, they didn't know the outcome of what was going to come. So they get a bad rap, but let's give them a little bit of grace because I'm sure in that moment, it was probably like, what is actually happening? So as we dive into this story, we have to think, let's be in the story and not just reading it. So let's put ourselves in it. And so like I already mentioned, Mary entered. It doesn't say how she felt, so I could have it totally wrong. But if I was Mary, I would imagine she was scared because she had no guarantee of an outcome of what not only the people around her were going to do. First of all, she was a woman, and that was very unheard of at that time. And she had no guarantee of what Jesus would do. But she did it anyway right? And so, and if you read the story and imagine yourself in it, the more she poured and the more she anointed, the more the environment of that room began to change. The more they begin to go, what, what, what is happening right here? What, what's going on? What are you doing? And I would imagine they went from having a meal together 
in an Aishan's experience to a worship service in like three minutes flat. Because they would be like, what is happening? And what's beautiful about setting that scene is that when we break our lives on Jesus like Mary did, the environments in which we live, our homes, our jobs, our schools, our workplaces, all begin to change. Not necessarily because the environment changes around us, but because what's in us changes. And so nothing changed for Mary externally, but her internal work began to change her external work. And so what did Mary do? You're like, okay, Holly, you're kind of selling me on this. So what did she do? The first thing that I felt like the Lord showed me was that Mary took a risk. And in order for her to take that risk, she had to capture the moment that she was in. Now, do I think Mary knew ahead of time the magnitude and the capacity of what she was going to do that day with Jesus and what would happen for all of eternity now? No. But she was sensitive enough to who he was in her life that she could capture it. So when you say, okay, how does that relate to me? Well, let's, let's just talk about what it means to capture a moment. Has anyone in here ever done family pictures? Those are Jordan's favorite. <laughs> he really likes those. Um, so let's just set the scene of a family picture, okay? So you're on the beach. Everybody loves a good beach family picture, right? You want it at sunset. You tell the photographer, I want to be an ankle deep in the ocean at sunset with my family, with my dress going out, my kids laughing and looking like they totally love me, and my husband is in all of me. Can you make that happen? <laughs> and he or she goes, yes, but you have to have this outfit on, you have to be at this location, and at this exact spot at this exact time in order for me to capture that moment, right? And then we get this beautiful picture because we get exactly what our hearts desired and we hang it up on our wall and everybody that enters our house goes, oh my gosh, that's such an amazing picture. And you go, I know, don't you love it? The photographer did so good. And all the while, nobody knows what all you had to do to capture that moment, right? And so that's so similar to Mary's experience, I would imagine, because in that moment, we get to read about her pouring the oil and her washing his feet with, our, with her tears and drying them with her hair. But all that led up to that moment, we don't necessarily know, right? And so my dad used to tell this story when he would preach a lot. He would tell this story about um, back in the day when they would use uh, pictures to tell a story or to say words because they didn't have a written language at that time. And it was a picture of a horse. And from the front, it was totally fine. It looked normal, had, had a normal head, normal mane. But when it showed the side of it, it had no tail. And the meaning of that picture was that you had one opportunity to catch that horse because it only had a mane, it didn't have a tail. So if it went too far past you, you couldn't catch it, right? You have to capture a moment. So like with Mary, she had one chance to capture this moment. Like I already mentioned, 
I don't think that she went in trying to create something, but her obedience opened up the door for her to capture a moment that we get to read about today. And she knew that she couldn't miss it. And so in her choosing not to miss it, she changed the environment around her. I would imagine she changed the people around her, even though that's not written down for us necessarily to know what happened. And ultimately, she changed the course of her life, Jesus's life, and ours. And so, but you say, okay, well, that seems easy. Well, not really. Because if you remember, the disciples and the others that were there scoffed at her, right? And it said they became angry with her, declaring, what a waste, right? You should have given that to the poor. And that would have been fair for them to think that. But what they thought was wasteful because of that oil was worth so much in the natural. They didn't understand Mary's experience. And so oftentimes, people will look at our lives and what we do and how we give or how we worship or how we treat our children or our spouse or whatever the case is, and they will scoff at us or they'll become angry and say, I can't believe you're doing it that way. I can't believe you do it that way. But all the while, they don't know what experience we've had that would cause us to have a demonstration that was so lavish, right? And so my question to you today is, how, how does this relate to us? Like, how can I become a Mary, right? Like, what do I do? What risk are you willing to take? So no one else can pour and oil for you. Only you can. Mary was the only one that could have done that that day. And history hasn't changed. It's the same with you and me. We have our own oil, but are we willing to risk it with Jesus? I don't know. You have to decide that for yourself. And we also have to realize that Everyone around us may be taking risks. They may be pouring their oils, but it's not enough to watch someone else do it because that means the worship is incomplete. Does that make sense? And so we have to be intentional that we pour our own oil. And I wanna, and I wanna know, like, would you be willing to do that? And when God was confronting me with these things, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What does that mean? What does that look like for me? Right? But I knew that in order to pour my oil, that I had to break something in my life for it to pour. And when I broke those things, my moment would come with Jesus. Which leads me to my next point about Mary. Mary left her mark on history. You say, well, okay, how? She changed the way that we interact with Jesus as a whole. Because you see, up until that point, Jesus was not worshiped in this way, right? And so he was, he, he taught, he told parables, people honored and respected who he was, but they didn't themselves know the full capacity of who he was. 
And so she initiated that for all of us to, um, to follow after. And so you say, well, how was it before? Well, Matthew 6 and 5 and 6 says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward you will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. You see, so everything up until this point was done to show God how good I am. See me, remember me, right? Let me go on the street corners and make this public display of who I am. But what Mary did and how she changed it was she said, I have a new way of encountering his presence. And no one yet has worshiped this way before, but in her brokenness, she broke open a new way to worship him, which resulted in him pouring blessings on her. And so it's all in our willingness to break and to take a risk that we can leave our mark on history. And Jesus turned around and affirmed Mary's brokenness and set the new standard. And he said to all of those people in the room, he defended her saying, why would you talk to her this way? What she has done for me will be everywhere the gospel is told, this story is going to be told from now for forever. And the thing about that is when I was studying this, you know, if we are a Christian in here this morning, you know the story. But because of this story, whether you are a believer or a non-believer, you have probably heard about Mary in the alabaster jar or the song. So when she left her mark on history, she left it not just for the church, but for all of mankind, right? And so Mary gave costly, temporary oil, but what Jesus gave her in return was her story being written in eternal history. So oftentimes we hold on to our costly, temporary things. And Jesus is saying, if you will give me those things that you think are so costly but temporary, then I can reward you with something eternal that you can't even see yet. But you have to be willing to break that your life before me so that I can have those things. So you see, others questioned her behavior that day. They didn't understand. But she defined her relationship with Jesus that day. And so I wonder, how many times were we unwilling to define a relationship with Jesus because we didn't like the people questioning us or we didn't like the way that they were looking at us down the pew from us or we were nervous about, oh my gosh, if I do that, what, do, what is that gonna mean for me? Other people are looking at me, I'm really not sure. And all the while Jesus is going, but look at the reward that I'll have for you. But if you can just see the other side, we, are Mary's in our story right now. And Jesus sees the end from the beginning. 
And so he's on the other side pulling us to himself going, if you can just see what I see, if you can just see it and see what I could give you, then you would not be worried about all this temporary stuff here. So what story will your brokenness write for those that are watching you? You have children, you have spouses, you have family members, you have careers with people that you work with every day that are watching you everywhere you go. What story will your brokenness write? Have your kids seen you fall at the feet of Jesus and give it all? Or have they, do they just know your top 10 favorite Netflix shows? I don't know. And so our willingness to bow low and create something new sets the standard of normal for our children, for our families, and for those that are coming behind us. But we have to be willing to bow low and say, you can have it all, or they can't have a new normal. They can't have a new standard. So because Mary was willing to bow low, she set a standard for me and you. So are you going to be willing to bow low so that you can set a standard for whoever's next? In all of this, Mary made a sacrifice. She had costly oil, right? And it, it kind of emphasizes that a little, a little bit. And she could, we don't know the context of Mary's story really. It's not very clear. But she could have saved it for later. She could have saved it for another time. Um, she could have held on to it. And that would have been reasonable because it was worth so much. But she sacrificed it, right? And you say, okay, well, what does that have to do with me? We all understand sacrifice to some degree. We sacrifice time. Some of y'all sacrifice y'all Saturday so that you can take your children to the football game, to the soccer game, to the cheerleading competition, to the dance competition, to the palm thing, to this, to that, everything. You sacrifice your Saturdays for that. You sacrifice your wallets to give in an offering. You sacrifice time uh, for your spouse. We all know sacrifice to some degree, right? That would be fair to say. We know sacrifice. But it's a little bit different when we have to sacrifice the thing most precious to us. And so what if the sacrifice was, I'm sorry, but little Johnny can't play football this year because I need you on Saturdays to be with me. Or you can't have that date night this week because I feel the yearning to be in my prayer closet to be with God. Or I'm going to keep you at that job that you're not really sure that you like because there's somebody there that needs you. It's different when it's costly. And I think if Mary was sitting on the pews today and we asked her about her experience, she would say, yeah, Holly, this sounds great. You're articulating it beautifully. That's what I would imagine she would say anyway. <laughs> but what she, I think, would ultimately say back to us was, it might have been a sacrifice in the moment, but what it really was was a privilege. And so when will our sacrifices that we make 
not just be seen in our eyes of sacrifices that we put up on our walls to display, but become a privilege to us to say, I get to come to God's house every Sunday or Wednesday afternoon. I get to give into the offering. I get to go to my small group. I get to lead the children's church class. I get to hold the babies in the nursery. I get to do these things, not because something is taken from me, but because I have something costly to give, which is your life, right? So I'm moving into point three, if the band wants to make their way up. But lastly, what the Lord showed me through this passage is that Mary changed the aroma of her life. So let's break that down. Let's talk about aroma for a minute. Okay. So Eva actually said it just a minute ago. She said, I don't know what kind of perfume Brenda wears, but if you smell her, she smells so good, right? Well, it was probably 20 minutes from the time she hugged her to the time she was up here and she still was aware of Brenda's aroma, right? If I said McDonald's, you would smell some real salty, crispy French fries, right? If I said Bath and Body Works, you would smell an overwhelming amount of perfumes or candles, whatever your preference is, right? If I said hospitals, what would you smell? Sanitizer, shots, medicine, right? If I said, I cannot remember this for the life of me, the name of it, but all of you are going to know what I mean. The pretzel place in the mall. Auntie Annie's. Auntie Annie's. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And y'all would know, y'all smelled that from inside the van store. You're just going to buy you some vans. Next thing you know, you're like, do you smell those pretzels? They smell so good, right? You get my point? Aroma is something that you smell and it lingers, and it becomes a part of your memory, right? And so Mary changed the aroma of her life that day. So all of these places that I just mentioned, they become known, what? For the way they smell. They draw, McDonald's draws you in to get that nasty Big Mac because it smells so daggum good. And the... Bath and Body Works draws you in with its probably cheaply made perfume because it smells good, right? In the natural, no matter how much perfume or cologne you put on, if you work in a hospital, we are still going to smell the hospital on you, right? Because you smell like what you've been doing. That's a part of humanity. That is a part of our senses that God designed. Well, God didn't leave out our senses when he wanted us to read the scriptures. He wanted us to read with all of our senses, right? To be in the story, right? And so the same is true for Mary. Because here's the thing that set Mary apart that day. She came in smelling like a past. We don't know what that past is. It's to be questioned. But when she got up that day, only her and Jesus smelled the same. And so she walked in smelling like shame, 
and guilt, condemnation, whatever her past was. And she got up smelling like the aroma of Jesus and the aroma of grace and the aroma of compassion and the aroma of, I can't help myself, but praise a little bit longer, right? And so a lot of times we come in places like this and we smell like our Saturday nights. Sometimes that's bar rooms and sometimes it's back seats. Sometimes it's not any of that. Sometimes it's our pride and arrogance that gets us. And so sometimes we do smell like we've been hung over for seven days, but sometimes we smell like ourselves and our natural man stinks because we tend to think of ourselves too highly than we ought. But with Jesus, it doesn't matter if you have a past that causes shame and guilt on your life, or if you have a past that you wanna put as a reward on your wall, none of us will smell good without Jesus. And so when we come into this place, we have to remember that Jesus came, he accepted us, he forgave us, he washed us clean, he gave us a new fragrance, and let us not forget that while we may have been saved for a while, the person sitting down the pew from us may have not been, and let's not put our nose down on them, but let's embrace them and love them and say, you know what, we may not smell like Jesus right now, but by the time you leave today, we're gonna smell like Jesus together. Right, is anybody in here that can say, I have had an experience with Jesus that has made it so big in my life that I don't mind being a little extravagant when it comes to pouring my love on him. Mary was a little bit extravagant that day, but you know what, in Pentecostal circles, extravagance means certain things. It means that you're the loudest in the room or you're the quickest to run around the building or you jump the highest or whatever the case is. But in Mary's extravagance, she said, I'm gonna be so extravagant to pour my love on you that all I gotta do is bend down and worship. That's all I gotta do. And so with Jesus, that's all that extravagance is. The aroma of redemption is multiplied when we walk and worship with others. When we break ourselves on Jesus, we begin to smell like him. And when I begin to smell like him, and when Brooklyn begins to smell like him, and Elma begins to smell like him, and Ben smells like him, and Derry smells like him, then we start changing the aroma of this church. And then when the aroma of this church starts changing, then we start changing the aroma of this northwest corner of Oklahoma City. And then when we start changing this northwest corner of Oklahoma City, then we move into the Metroplex at large. And then next thing you know, in Oklahoma, everybody will say, what is in Oklahoma? I don't know, but there's a church there that I know about that smells like Jesus. I don't know if you have anything to see there. It may not be pretty, but there's a church there that smells like Jesus. And they carry that scent wherever they go. And so at the Gate Church, worship is in our DNA. But let us not forget the one that we are worshiping. It's not ourselves. It's the one and only audience of one. So there is only one way 
that Mary could smell like Jesus. And I'm going to make it practical for a minute. There's only one way that Jordan and I can smell like each other. It's not because we share perfume and cologne. It's not because we kiss every now and again. Right? Anybody married in here? There's only one way you're getting up from bed smelling like your spouse. Right? And that is when you are intimate. And you don't just give a little bit here and there. You give it all. You give everything to your husband or to your wife. And then when you wake up, you get up from the bed, you smell like each other. Right? Well, that fragrance that Mary had in that jar, the oil, was so potent that she could have just given a little bit, right? And it would have accurately described her love for him. If I went over there right now and kissed Jordan, I would still demonstrate my love for him because he's my husband, right? And so she could have just taken, you know, have you all ever been to a proper um, like perfume place? where they make authentic perfumes and stuff. And so when they take you in there, my dad took me there one time and we were out of the country and uh, we walked into this room and it was quite small and I was anticipating kind of like a perfume mania. Y'all remember that story? (laughs) That has like everything in it. Um, But it was so small and it was so intimate and it was just one guy in there and he was mixing all of these concoctions together to give you the perfect scent or aroma that you wanted to smell like, right? And he would say, now the key is that you just give a little dab. You just put a little dabble on, you know? You know, when you, your husband gets you real expensive perfume, you just dabble it here and there, and then you go like this, and then you smell like that for hours. This is what this guy was telling us, is he would say, it's just a little bit at a time. And so just a little bit is so costly because it goes a long way, right? So I was thinking about that story, and I thought, How true is that for Mary's alabaster jar in our alabaster jar? We put a little bit of life in this and we put a little life there and we put a little life there and we mix it up and it becomes this jar, right? Of whatever aroma we've created for ourselves. And when she broke that, she could have just went, I love you, Jesus, and dabbled it right here. And he would have smelled like that all day and she would have said I poured my love on you and he would have said yeah you did because it was so costly but what Mary chose to do that day was she said no it's not just a a little dabble I'm gonna give it all 